Good morning again. Last week, is this on? This doesn't feel like it's. Is it? Okay. All right. Uh, last week, I, I came into church a little early because uh, there was just something in the back of my mind. It's the beginning of the heating season, and I, I thought, we've had our share of problems with the furnace before. I better go in a little early. And I came in, and the sanctuary was like, I can't remember, 59 or 60 degrees because our brand new air handler wasn't kicking on and blowing that the furnace would kick on, but it would get too warm and it would just shut off because the air handler wasn't blowing air in. So we made some calls and uh, Steve got a hold of uh, the guy who, um, who, who put it in and he came in. He was in here by, I don't know, like 8.30 or something like that. And he said, I can't get it going right now, but if you just switch on the thermostat from automatic on the fan to on, it'll just, it will kick on. So we did that and it was fine. By the time you guys came in here, temperature was, was just fine. Well, this morning I thought I better go in and, and make sure that that's going all right again. Um, so I got in here a little early this morning also. Well, last night when we left Harvest of Talents, um, I thought I should turn that fan over to on uh, so that when the furnace kicks on at 5 a.m., it's blowing the warm air into the sanctuary. We don't come into a cold sanctuary again. I walked in. When I came into the far end of the front hallway over here, I went, wow, this hallway feels warm. I thought maybe somebody turned the baseboard radiator on overnight. I came in here, and a heat wave just hit me in the face. It was 89 degrees in here because the furnace... Ignored what temperature the thermostat was set at and just said, oh, I'm supposed to be on all the time. We've arranged for a Catholic priest to come in and do an exorcism because <laughs> there's something definitely not right with our stuff. So if you find yourself a little warm this morning, just understand that there are probably half a dozen people in here this morning going, finally, they got this place up to a good temperature. <laughs> As uh, most of you know, uh, I went on vacation a couple weeks ago and I went up and I visited my parents in northern Michigan. My stepfather is 85 years old. Unlike several famous power-wielding politicians in their 80s, he is still in better shape physically and mentally than I am. I realize that's not saying much. We played the game upwards. Do you know what this game is? It's like Scrabble, but three-dimensional. And I, I'm, I'm not good at games like that, but we played this. I'm playing with a guy who's 85 years old, and he completely annihilated me. I mean, I'm struggling to get like, you know, eight or nine points by getting one word into a new word. And he's laying down like three tiles that will change words in three directions. And he's like 24, 25, 26, 27, just annihilating me. The guy is on top of his game. 
He, he just, he's not slowing down at all. The day that I got there, that I went up there, he said, hey, can you help me tomorrow? Um, he says, I've just finished up remodeling a house. That's what he does for a living. Um, and I'm moving in a new uh, range, uh, oven and, and stovetop. And so the next morning we went and did that. And I, I assure you, he was lifting more than 50% of, of this thing. And we put it in and we did it. He buys houses that everybody else says this needs a bulldozer and a match. And he will slowly but surely rebuild them into very livable, um, not necessarily you know high-end houses, but ones that ordinary people can afford, and, and he makes his living that way. Two years ago, directly against my mother's wishes, he re-roofed a house because it was going to cost too much to hire it done. He was 83 years old at the time. He re-roofed a house and probably did a better job of it than I would. And I have re-roofed houses. The very first house that he did was an old farmhouse, which had been abandoned for more than 20 years. Everyone said, they, they nicknamed it Ward's Folly because he borrowed money to, to re, rebuild this house. And they all said, there's, there's no way. This is, number one, it's an old farmhouse that's like 120 years old already, and you're, it just won't happen. He checked it out, and he found out that the floors, the ceiling, the, all, all that, the walls were still sturdy. But then he needed to go and check one very important thing. He needed to check the foundation. He went and opened up the cellar, and it was full of ice. This was in the summertime, because there was a crack, and it had let water in, and over the 20-odd years that it had been abandoned, it would freeze in the winter a little bit, like some of it would freeze. And then in the summer, it wouldn't be warm enough. This is the Upper Peninsula, and this is an old stone cellar. It wouldn't warm up enough to totally thaw it out. And by the time that he bought the house, the entire basement was full of ice, like five feet deep. And a skunk, but that's a different story. And he put a space heater hung from the ceiling and a submersible sump pump down there and pumped it all out over a few weeks of time. And he found out that other than the crack that had been letting the water in, the foundation was good. Whoever had built this house so very long ago had built an incredibly sturdy foundation. And because the foundation was still good, he repaired the one place where it was damaged and he was able to salvage the entire house. I want you to imagine this house had been sitting there for empty for 20 years and it had been abandoned because it was old. But the foundation was sure. And so it was all steadfast. When I was up there, he and I went and we were just driving around town 
And we drove down one particular street and there was a house that we saw where someone had decided to try to do an impersonation of my stepdad. They had bought a house that was condemned. The house itself was pretty good, but the foundation it had been built on was crumbling. And so they decided, well, we'll we will uh, dig around the foundation, we'll jack the house up, and then we'll take out the old foundation and build a new one underneath the house. Unfortunately for them, what they decided to do first was dig around the old foundation, and they hadn't secured the house yet. And so what they ended up with was this, boys. And then the next picture, please. While they still had what had been a decent house, the foundation collapsed and the house fell with a crash. We talked with several different people and they said, shy of bringing in a giant crane, what this house now needs is a bulldozer and a match because there's just nothing that you could do for it. In the back, it was even worse. When you looked at the back door, it was like this with the top of it off on probably a 15 degree angle, the whole back of the house had twisted. It would seem that trying to salvage a house that's built on a bad foundation isn't a successful venture. Strangely enough, the Bible actually talks at length about just this thing. The concept of a building's foundation plays large parts in many places in scripture. Now in several places, it uses this term very literally. Like when it speaks in detail about how they made the foundation of the first temple, how it was so important to them when they finally finished laying the foundation of the second temple. These are things that, that, that was extremely important to them. But it also speaks of it metaphorically as when God laid the foundations of the earth or the foundations of mountains. It doesn't actually mean that God showed up one day with a trowel and mortar and said, well, if I'm going to build this planet, I should probably get to work on its foundation. Hand me some rocks. It means that all of the underlying aspects of creation were put into place by God which I find quite interesting when I see science shows talking about how the cores of planets and stars were formed. I just think of God speaking all of that into being. When it talks about how intricate a planet is in its makeup, that's God making the foundations of the earth. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. While you do that, I'm going to pop this door open over here because I'm sweating.
Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In the passage just before this, Paul has been speaking to them about the importance of not getting caught up in following different men and becoming sectarian, an issue which would soon invade the church and bring century after century of grief and hatred and bloodshed. But he's confident of the righteousness of the teachings of the people that he's just got done mentioning himself, Paul, Apollos, Peter, He's, he's confident, he's not worried that they are hearing anything which would amount to heresy. Just that the different teachers will be emphasizing different things in the lives of the Christians and that what is really incredibly important is the foundation. He was likely drawing off of Old Testament passages such as Isaiah 28 verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Or even the passages in which it speaks about the first temple being built with costly Stones. They, they laid this foundation of the first temple. They wanted the foundation to be so perfect that they didn't even do any of the carving of the stones on the premises. That was all done away where you couldn't even hear it from the location of the temple. But they cut them at another location so perfect that when they transported them over, they would all fit together perfectly. Costly stones were used to lay a foundation as good as they could possibly make it. In doing this, Paul is trying to underscore the importance of the basic aspects of Christianity and that they are, in fact, primary. He shows how as long as a person is building upon the truth of the basic foundational aspects of Christianity in good faith, 
then what comes after is to certain degrees of lesser importance. He does not know that other teachers, excuse me, he does know that other teachers will come along later and perhaps build upon the, the foundation of Christianity with things that are incorrect. I mean, he pretty much, he saw this coming. There were going to be people that said things that weren't quite right. And those teachings wouldn't last. They wouldn't stand up in the judgment. And he was right. But those things will be shown eventually to be worthless, although not necessarily harmful. There are things in which people are mistaken, but they are not doing harm. And then there are other things. I want to be clear about what I did and didn't just say. What I said was that the primary truth of the gospel is what is of paramount importance. It is of the highest importance. I did not say that what comes after it doesn't matter. Paul spends the majority of his time in his letters to the churches refuting false teachings, heresies, But many of these heresies that were brought in were focused on the foundation. They were things that were trying to destroy the actual foundation of Jesus Christ. For instance, the Judaizers, as we've just went over in the last couple of weeks, were teaching a heresy that rule following was how salvation was achieved. That is an attack on the foundation He had stated earlier in this letter that what he was focused on when he was teaching with the Corinthians was the core of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But this is not to say that Paul did not teach them. He didn't intend to teach them anything else. He started with the core because you've got to start with that foundational aspect. He absolutely did intend for them to learn much more. But it was more important that they grasp the foundations the comprehension of the concept of Christianity and accept it and understand it. If this doesn't happen, then none of the further teachings matter. I want to say that again. If you don't grasp the fundamental aspects of Christianity, then none of the teachings that go on top of the fundamentals matter. That's important to understand. If you comprehend kindness and benevolence, but you don't understand that being kind and benevolent as a person will not get you into heaven, 
then there's a terrible problem. Many false religions and even very good, very nice atheists believe in the concept of being kind to one another. But if you don't understand the salvation which comes through Christ alone and his atoning work on the cross, <coughs> but you but you come to an understanding that a life of kindness and benevolence is a big thing, that's a loss. I want you to hold on to your hats for just a few moments, though. We're going to go a little bit deeper into this, and I don't want you to be, mistake any of my comments due to my lack of eloquence. You might be thinking, well, yes, Kevin, knowing the free gift of the gospel is of primary importance, but surely you're not saying that's all there is. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. There's most certainly more to the life of the Christian than just the elementary aspects of the foundation. Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Reminds me of a picture we just saw. Again, the metaphor of the foundation is used, but this time in a slightly different way. Again, Jesus is the base of the foundation, so that part is the same. But in this aspect, he goes further than that. He says that building your foundation on him, meaning the, the salvation which he alone offers, that means obedience to him. If you are willfully disobedient to the commands and instructions of Christ, then he's saying that your house will collapse. How so? How can our obedience to Christ be something which affects our very salvation? Well, theologians have been arguing about that one since about the second century. I would say that you are not actually a follower of Christ if you do not follow what he says. How can a person claim to be a Christian, by definition, a follower of Christ, and also say that they are unwilling to do what he commanded? Now, they wouldn't say that, of course. They, would, they wouldn't entertain that as a discussion. There are a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. But they ignore everything that Christ commanded for us in our lives. 
They wouldn't enter into a discussion of that nature. Or they would say that they don't believe that those of us who adhere to what Jesus said are interpreting it correctly. Oh, you're just taking that out of context. He never meant to say that we can't do that or that we should do this. He was saying something else, even though it clearly says otherwise. Or what's quite fashionable these days, and by these days I mean the last, oh, 150 years, is just to deny that Jesus ever taught something. I was reading a book um, back when I was a youth minister. It was called Hard Sayings of Jesus. And there's some hard sayings of Jesus. I mean, you read through there, it's like, wow. And we got to one, there was, I don't know, like 20 of them listed. And I'm going through this with the high schoolers. And every week we're just tackling one. And he lists one of the hard sayings of Jesus, and I don't even remember which one it was. And he says, well, basically, my summation is, Jesus never said that. It's like, wait, what? It's right there in the Bible. Yeah, well, I just, that's, that was his answer. Hard sayings of Jesus, how do you follow him? Well, you get around him by saying he didn't actually say that. When scripture says, yeah, yeah, he did. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, let us, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, or your translations may say of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He's saying, let's not just sit there at the foundation. Yes, you got to have the foundation. Yeah, you got to grasp all that stuff. But let's not just sit there. Let's move on. Let's learn more than that. I remember at one of the churches I've been in, they would do about, I'm not sure, um, maybe twice a year. Maybe it was every uh, quarter. I'm not sure. Uh, every now and then they would do a class on core doctrines. They, they had like uh, three adult classes. And on a rotational basis, about, I don't know, every so often, they would do a core doctrines class that just taught the basic fundamental aspects of Christianity. Because, folks, a lot of people who walk into a church, whether they refer to themselves as Christian or they simply say, yeah, I'm, I'm new to all this, they don't know the basics. And that's a really good thing to do. However, when I went to teach my first time teaching this class, um, one of the elders was talking with me and he kind of chuckled and he said, oh, such and such, this, this older woman, she'll be in the class. And I was like, wait, what? I thought she'd been in this church for like 100 years. And he's like, yeah. And she takes that class every single time it's offered. I'm like, well, okay, maybe she wants to. And he said, she doesn't like the classes that dig deeper into theology. She just wants to stay right where she is. And after I got to know her, I realized that was true. She did love the basic core aspects, and she wanted to go over just those. 
And when you had a class that dug deep into theology, she wasn't interested. She should have been to a point of teaching. And she was still going over the core aspects over and over again. The foundation of Christianity is terribly, terribly important. Don't mistake anything I'm saying on that. You can't have a good house unless it's built on a solid foundation. And if people are attacking the foundation, that's trouble. If someone can only learn one aspect of the faith, then the foundation of salvation through Jesus Christ and him crucified is what they need to learn. Paul would go around and he would stop at churches and, and or towns and, and start churches by teaching the core aspects. And that's absolutely 100% has to be that way. But he would write letters and he would make visits and he would build upon the foundation. Most people can be taught more than the foundational aspects of Christianity. Most people can come to eat meat and not just drink milk as babes in Christ. Most of us need to move beyond the elementary teachings of the foundation and learn to follow all of the teachings of Christ and the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit that he sent to teach us. We need to know the aspects of Christianity which can not only change our own lives, but can change the lives of everyone in the communities around us who we have contact with and share our lives with in big or small ways so that we can be genuine followers of Christ and not merely people who accept his grace and stay just there. The foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified dying on the cross for our sins, paying a debt that you and I can not pay. If you haven't accepted that aspect, given your life to Christ, been immersed into him and risen a new creation, then let's start with the foundation. Would love to do that with you today. But if you've done that, you don't want to live in a house that's just a foundation. You want to live in a house that's built up with walls and a roof. And that's what the rest of the teachings are. Are you coming to Sunday school? If not, why not? Are you coming to Wednesday night Bible studies? If not, why not? 
Are you doing a daily Bible study on your own or are you getting five paragraphs on a good Sunday as your only Bible through the week? If that's how it is, that needs to change. And we would love to help you do that.